Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Some exchange betting companies run short-lived promotions, like months-long offers of low commission. At BetDAC, we wanted to change the way we did things, so we set our commission at 2% permanently. That's 2% on football, horse racing, golf, almost any sport. 2%. That's just one way that BetDAC is changing for the better. For the better, like you. BetDAC, the 2% commission exchange. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Hello again, and welcome to another very special edition of the Roker Report podcast. I'm Johnny Goldsmith, joined by Josh Wilkinson. Hello, how are you? Yeah, I'm doing well, yes. And uh, of course, we have um, a very popular figure in the early 2000s playing for Sunderland, uh, all round nice lad and uh, well-respected and well-liked by all Sunderland fans. It's Alex Ray. Hello, Alex. I'm, I'm very well. Thanks very much for that lovely introduction. It was mid-90s, actually, when I, when I got here. Mid-90s, uh, yeah. <laughs> probably before your time, lad. Yeah, well, I remember I've seen you play a couple of times when I was uh, a young lad, but I was uh, about nine years old at that um, point. Well, fond then. memories, did you? Fond memories of the days? Yeah, yeah, of course. you can remember? Yeah, from what I can remember, absolutely, yeah, Who yeah. was your standout player then? I know you're the guy that's asking the question, but I'm, <laughs> so, I'm taking um, over here. Of his time. <laughs> yeah, well, obviously... Kevin Phillips is the usual is the, is the name that everyone would say as well, sure. and uh, mm-hmm. for some reason I always like Stan Varga as well. I don't know why. Big Stanley, yeah, yeah, yeah. When he went to Celtic, son, that's when it all went down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, personally, Alex, you were my god. Yeah. So, oh really? Yeah. Oh yeah. I was, I was only about five, but you don't forget. I listen to this podcast. You see <laughs> yeah, that every yeah. week when you got a new <laughs> guest in. But uh, I remember actually, I saw a couple of your goals that you scored as well. There was one against Bolton that you scored for Wolves. Yeah, incredible goal. Uh, you saw yeah. you scored some rockets in your time. And, yeah, yeah I'd had a few tap-ins over the years as well, yeah, believe yeah, it or yeah. not. But um, it's it's interesting because my wife, I'm not exactly sure what birthday it was, but uh, she contacted most of the clubs in which I had played for. Mm-hmm. And uh, she managed to ascertain the goals from that season. So I managed to get a, a, a good proportion of the goals. It was one of the best presents I've ever received. Yeah. And I managed to get a little montage together, which is great because, as you said, my kids didn't see me playing because mm-hmm. I had them later on in life. So it's an opportunity for them to look back and go, this geezer wasn't too bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's class. In 1996, you joined Sunderland from Millwall. Yeah. Um, the first £1 million signing, I believe you were yeah. as well. Did you need much convincing, really, to move from London to the North East? No, not at that time. Um, and I'll be honest with you, because you were saying to me, be as frank as I possibly can, it was... Mm-hmm. It was um, 
a great opportunity to get a couple of hours from Glasgow so that I could go up and watch Rangers playing in midweek yes. things so and get to back to see the old firm games. But more importantly, it was an opportunity to try and play in the Premiership because I, I came down in 1990 and within six years in the Championship, it was far too long. And if I'm being honest, I think part of my lifestyle at Millwall hampered me for people signing. So thankfully, Peter Reid gave us that opportunity to express myself at, at Sunderland. And what was it like moving? So obviously you played for us when we when we were last at Roker Park. Yeah. What was it like going from Roker Park when the capacity was like twenty two and a half thousand, I think, at yeah. the end of its tenure, then moving to Stadium of Light, where you know we were getting forty seven, forty eight thousand. Yeah. How was that transition? Well, I have to be honest with you. When I was in my first season, we were playing at Roker, and I couldn't wait to go to the place. It was falling, falling apart. It was a shithole, actually. <laughs> All being that the actual atmosphere within the place was brilliant because, you know, the paddocks and behind the goal and it just seemed as if it was right on top of you. So they could always generate a good atmosphere, but the actual facilities and it was so dated and I couldn't envisage coming to this stadium, as you said there, and, mm-hmm. and filling it. I just didn't know where the fans were going to come from. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and when you talk about momentum... Um, it just started to rocket, you know. We, we'd obviously the disappointment. I think we'd 40, 41 points when we got relegated, and then the next season because we'd moved in here to to the stadium of light, and then I think we did early thirty thousands. Momentum started yeah. to grow, and and by the time I'd left, it was like struggling to get tickets. So did it take you till that season to kind of realise the support someone really had? Because presumably coming off from yeah. Millwall. I mean, did you know a lot about Sunderland? Well, I was always led to believe it was a really big club. Right. But then when you go to Roker and you see the surroundings, you think, really, look at this place, you know, because, the, the you know, Millwall uh, built the new den. It was 20,000 all-seater. It was, you know, state-of-the-art. And then you come up to, to, to Roker Park and you think, oh my God, what have I done here? <laughs> but as I said, within a short period of time and the personnel and the environment in and around the dressing room, it was a... Oh, we had a brilliant dressing room. I think that was a key thing. I think Reedy had the ability to identify um, the right characters. That's all the way to describe it because obviously there was, I was saying earlier on to yourself there about, you know, you know Kevin Phillips was a standout. But you wouldn't say there was any superstars within the dressing room. Um, mm. And we used to socialise together and fight together and, and do a lot together. Right. So it was, um, you know, it was just a brilliant environment to play football in and, if you're a footballer, you want to buy into that, and and I, there was no, you know, there was no Johnny Big Bollocks, if you like, in the dressing room, which helped because they wouldn't survive five minutes because there's so many big characters. And I think that's probably what we've been missing recently as well, isn't it? Yeah, we're missing some big characters, you know, people with that sort of passion. I think we've missed that for a long time, and yeah. uh, you know, I think there are some players like Catamol, for example. I think yeah. is one of the best examples of players who have that passion. No, no, but but it's, it's it's across the board. You know, yeah, there's plenty yeah, of ways of to show passion. It's not just about kicking people. It's about the character <laughs> on and off true. the pitch. It's about digging people out at the right time. I, and it's not just Sunderland. I think it's across the board where the type of characters are frowned upon because we, we live in different times. If you had to give something, someone a bollocking like we did in the dressing room, you would have HR on you, you know, why to sack you. Um, and it, it was a very unforgiving platform. You know, in that dressing room... I used to get in there one of the first every fucking Monday morning because if people are slotting your gear, you know the you know everything they were scrutinised and um, I used to see Quinny coming in every day as the worst the worst dressed guy in <laughs> football league mm-hmm. and um, he used to stand me a big brush his hair and he goes I'm gorgeous <laughs> 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 he was brilliant man he was absolutely brilliant but 
and then you'd summer being making and the Manchester boys, we Mickey Gray was trying to jump about, he was trying to get out of Sunderland and jump be cool down in Manchester. So mm. we used to get them coming in late on a Monday morning, having had a weekend in Manchester. <laughs> um you also um thought you might have only been here for a season though. Uh yeah. with the there was a Crystal Palace medical? Aye, aye, I've been doing a Crystal Palace. I, listen, I think it's well documented that within um the first season um, I think part of the contract negotiations were well, the season ticket and Annabelle's and Fino's and I was just in the town too much and causing a wee bit more carnage than I normally do. So um, unfortunately, Peter Reid wasn't tolerating it and and then I went down to Palace. But thank, I'll, I'll be honest, I, thankfully that never materialised because I would never have been able to experience the, 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 the four good years after that uh, sure, yeah. here. So it was, a, it was just an unbelievable time. And is there a big, in those four years, is there a big kind of a big game or a big standout moment for you? Uh, we're here. Yeah. What was a standout moment? Um, I think when we, one of the things that stands out for me was when we won the league. Mm. Um, I think I was injured uh, a long period of that, towards the end of that. And um, the standout thing for me over the period that I was here was when we went on the open top bus I was led to believe there was 250,000 people there. And um, there was a couple of characters sat at the back of the bus and they were sitting with a beer in their hands and missing it all. Mm. And I remember thinking to myself, you're going to miss this opportunity. It was like 10, 12 deep for miles. And then we went to the civic service. So it was something that I will live long with me. It was a, it was just an unbelievable experience. It was you become a football player and you want to play in front of big crowds and you want to earn money and you're prestige and a whole bit. But that for me was a, a really pivotal moment because that was us then going back to the big time as well. So it was a an important time for the club into where we're going to go in the next couple of years. Yeah. Um, and what, how was the club with you when you asked Peter Reid for six weeks off? Yeah, was um, it six weeks, was it? Around, I think, was it about six weeks potentially? Yeah, well, give or take, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, how was the club um, when you asked for that? They, they were very supportive. Um, they were they were great within the space of about ten or twelve hours. I was in um, I was in the Priory. As I now call it the cuckoo's nest. It was it was some experience, um, but I have to say, Reedy and Mark Blackburn, who I think was the secretary at the time the club secretary, he he uh, drove me down. So within the space of 12 hours, I was in a facility that transformed my life. Now, and I actually got the date, it was the 22nd October 1998. And uh, I think we were playing, I think it was the 22nd, I think we were playing Huddersfield the next day. And uh, I was kind of, I went in there for, I think it was four weeks, 28 days. And um, and then I come back out and I, I managed to fulfil my potential and, and start to really perform at a level that I'd been craving for for years and um, if I hadn't got that support I've no idea and it's interesting because I put a thing on Twitter yesterday funny enough or the day before about the PFA because they were in conjunction with uh, Sunderland and they gave us the support and help to, to 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 kick on so that I can look back now and go do you know what I can talk about times you know playing yeah. against World Cup winners you know I think the opening game the opening game of that first season we went to Chelsea and I think to myself, we're going to go and turn these over. We're going down here, but we have wiped the floor with every team in the championship. And then we went down there, and I think we got our asses scalped 4 0. And uh, I remember thinking to myself, my God, welcome to the big leagues. 
because I think that was the day Gus Poyet scored the scissor kick. I think there was four World Cup winners. I think it was LeBuff, Deschamps, Desailly, and I think Petit might have been there as well. Mm. It was either three or four winners. Wow. And, and, and this is to give you an insight to Peter Reid. Peter Reid uh, says to his, I'll never forget it, it must have been about 90, 90-odd, it was boiling. And Peter Reid just went and done all his media duties, me were all kind of still sitting about, and he says, get some T-shirts on and flip-flops, we're going out to the middle of the centre circle, and we were all thinking, what's going on here? And he was quite a ferocious wee guy, and we're thinking, here we go, he's going to fucking rip strips off us. And he sat down and he went, that's my fault. I take full responsibility for that. He says, I've tried to come and play toe-to-toe with a team of these, this quality. And I got it badly wrong. I says, it's a lesson learned from, from him and his coaching staff that when we go away from home, we will not be as open, as you know, vulnerable as we were that day. And then obviously from then on in, the season took care of itself. Mm. And did you always know that you were capable of playing against you know, World Cup winners? Oh, well, it's, it's interesting because I always, you always feel as if you can cope in things. But once I managed to clear my head, I'll say this in all sincerity, um, I actually believed I could cope comfortably and also get the better of these guys because I I wasn't causing carnage. I was, (laughs) uh, you know, it's like a weight off. So when you're playing against these guys, and and we were often beating these teams, so you were going toe-to-toe with some of the best players in the world at that time. And I always felt as if at at that particular, for a couple of seasons, I felt as if I was... I was very able to go and mix it with the best players. And and, and and if you think back to that time, and I was playing with Gavin McCann in a bounce game last week, and I always think how, how good a footballer he was. I think he went under the radar. He obviously won a cap, but he was a right good hardy bastard. And um, when either myself or Gavin, you'd Bolly in the background as well, who you know could, could quite easily mix it as well. And... Um, then we brought in Stefan Swartz and adding more and more quality. Um, and then with guys like Stevie Bold, Andy Melville, Paul Butler, um, with Sorensen and goal. And then with the, the right back was Macon. And um, and then Mickey in the left. And it's funny because my very last game for uh, Millwall, I got a red card, surprisingly. Mm. And it was against uh, Oldham. And it was against Chris Macon. I mean, Chris arrived from Marseille. I'm thinking, oh God, here we go. Because <laughs> quite a handy character, right? And I thought, here we go. He might want to go around too, right? <laughs> and someone sent me a picture of me and Chris and I'm trying to lay one in his face, right? And he's turning away as if he's cowering away. And I, and I asked him to sign it. I went, here, they'll want the silver medalist as well, right? <laughs> and he went, yeah, you never seen the next fucking punch you shot yourself. <laughs> so, so um, but it was, it was great to see you know, we're such a good team. Yeah. With Quinnine and um, Kevin up top. Sure. You'd summer be on the right. His deliveries were tremendous. And we just had a good group of boys that were all willing to fight for, for the cause. One game I do remember as well. Um, January 2001, third against first. Sunderland versus Manchester United. Um, you got sent off. Yes. For um, squaring up to Andy here, Cole, I think it was. Yeah, it was interesting because a guy yeah. a guy sent me a, a message this morning. They must have been showing this on Sky today. Mm-hmm. Generally, ah, okay. a guy sent me this. Now, he was a younger guy, so he's clearly the first time seeing that incident. And I think he was claiming for a penalty, Andy Cole. And I told him politely, going, <laughs> take a flying fuck to yourself. So <laughs> it didn't go down too well. Uh-huh. And uh, he came over and I wasn't the one for bowing down. 
and we kind of put heads together. There yeah. was no any forward movement or anything. And uh, Graham Paul decided to send both of us off. And, and there's a picture does the rounds where I think it's Keane, Beckham and Cole. Were, well, they, they, they two in particular were giving me all sorts of dogs abuse walking off the pitch. And I think myself, he's just kind of ruined it. But I think about seven or eight years ago, I was playing a game of golf in Milton Keynes when I was coaching down there. And on the other fairways, coming along the other side, was Graham Paul. <laughs> and he came over to me and said, it's lovely to see you, Alex. Have you still got the hump for me sending you off against Man United? And I went, you fucking ruined the game. <laughs> Take a flying fuck to yourself. <laughs> so, um, no, I, I was. Uh, I think he ruined it. And it was more to do with what Graham was doing. Yeah. Because for me, there was not enough force and things to, to warrant sending two players off. And it was a bit of a shame, wasn't it? Because I'd end up at like 10, 10 versus 9. Yeah. And like a tabletop game. Really no, no, but when you, when you put that in context, when we were talking about the disappointment of the first season of getting relegated mm. and missing out in the playoffs. That's true. You're now talking about first against third. Man United against Sunderland. Yeah. T- top of the table. Uh, it was a remarkable period. But listen, some of the names I just mentioned there, you're talking about, you know, York, Cole, Beckham, Giggs, Scholes. Um, you know, and, and you're running them close. Um, mm. And when you think about where the club was at that particular period, it's just a pity they couldn't build on it, you know, and, yeah. and continue that for like like a generation. Yeah. Because if you can do that, then the money that was going to boot, uh, going to boot at that time, then you can, you know, you could have really have kicked on. So you mentioned the uh, the playoffs game a little bit there. Obviously, you came on. I think it was four three when you came on, hundred minutes in. Yeah. Um, how was it? coming on in that game at that well, moment well to be honest with you I, I wasn't expecting to come on right uh, the reason being is we had been to uh, Bournemouth I think we'd played someone on a Saturday well no that's not true we'd played anyway a long story short Peter Reid decided to take us to Bournemouth for a three day social social <laughs> convener gig. yeah and uh, we went down and uh, we went down and um Anyway, I was on it for a couple of days and a bit worse for wear. And I think the that following Sunday, we were playing against Charlton down there and I got sent off. I, I, I think I got a second yellow for kicking their keeper. Right. Right. And Reedy said to me, he says, that's it, you're done. You're finished mm. with me. I'm not fucking having this. And uh, so I was surprised. But I was also disappointed because I'd played about 30-odd games or something leading up to that playoff final. Uh, so when he said to us that, get warmed up you're coming on and I, I, you know um, and then I, and I'll never forget it because when it went to penalties I took I'm not exactly sure what one it was a 4th or 5th um, penalty and um, I had number 13 in my back and I had such a bad re- track record I'd been sent off against Charlton about 3 or 4 times during my, my, my old days I'm yeah. like oh my god I'm going to go and miss this yeah. I was just so happy it wasn't me because I think Peter Reid would have knocked <laughs> 7 bells at me that night <laughs> but um it was obviously Mickey that the, the 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 penalty missed, but it was such a disappointing. But it was also a pivotal moment mm. because the I think it's well documented that Niall Quinn's team talk afterwards. Everyone's obviously devastated about not getting, uh, you know, automatic uh, promotion out yeah. of the playoffs. Um, so Quinny says, "Listen, we will come back bigger and better." And on the back of that, I think the next season there was a record-breaking team. It was 105 yep. points. So there was always a, even though there was disappointment about adversity, there was always an upshot to it because because of the group, because of the management team and behind, 
And we, we, had, we had a brilliant backroom team as well. You know, you had Old Sacco and Ricky Sprezia was, was brilliant. And then you've got the ginger god, Cookie, um, always in the background. And then we had Mickey Fingers, you know, the masseur, who was just a brilliant lad. And so you, you had a really good nucleus. And mm. obviously the, the, the following season, 105 points yeah. was just ridiculous. Yeah. Normally, obviously, the biggest game of a Sutherland fan season when we're in the same league is, yeah. um, is against Newcastle. Yeah. You've played a fair few of them, um, including the two wins at St. James's Park. Yeah. I mean, never mind rain. That was a monsoon that night. Absolutely, yeah. What was it like playing in that game? Well, it's interesting because one of the, one of the questions you often get asked over the years, it's your usual best player and the best bat. People often, because I've been fortunate enough to play in some decent derbies. I've obviously played in old firm derbies and things. And one of the games that all stands out to me is a game that you've just highlighted there when we went to St James's. I, I, if my memory serves me right, I think my pal Graham Paul was a, the referee that night. <laughs> and um, he uh, he was... Um, I'm, I, I, I thought for a moment he was going to call the game off because there was puddles on the pitch. And uh, I think they were redeveloping one of the ends. I'm not exactly sure what end it was because there was a little pocket of about 200 fans. So I think that was yeah, always yeah. there mm-hmm. up in the gods and it, it, there was no cover up there so they were getting drenched. And I remember because you have to get down at St James's, get underneath and then come back up to ground level. Right. And that, there was only 36,000 there so you would think to yourself, atmosphere, nothing great. I remember thinking as I was walking up the stairs, I was looking over at guys like Rob Lee and I think Shearer and Duncan Ferguson and that were on the bench. Uh, I think it was at Ruth Hulip, was it was it Hulip, was it mm-hmm, Gaffer? Mm-hmm. And you think to yourself, this is one of the best players. So as I'm walking up that tunnel, I'd hair stand in the back of my neck. And as I'm kind of starting to see the ground level, the rain was bouncing off the ground. And I remember thinking to myself, I can't wait to get fucked in here these years. <laughs> but it was just that the actual atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And it would have came for the Newcastle fans because of the hostility. And I remember thinking to myself, because I think that would probably have been what, six months, a year after I'd come out of rehab. And I'm thinking to myself, fucking let's have some of this. And and the adrenaline. And um, One of the key things uh, stands out within these games. They were unbelievable. They were amazing games to play in because Newcastle had a right good team at that time. It was a, a host of internationals, England internationals. And, uh, you know, we just that group of guys who were, you know, fighting a corner. And I remember Kevin, but Shearer came on later on in the game and Shearer was going towards Thomas Soros. No, no. Shearer was going towards the Newcastle goalie and Bolly was going towards Thomas Soroson. And Bolly and Shearer went in for a tackle and it was the noise of the impact. And if you ever ask Kevin Baldness, the ball, Bolly's won it and the ball has flown towards the Sunderland goal. And I remember, the words came out of my mouth and I went, that's fucking in. <laughs> and and, Bolly's, and I'll hear Bolly going, no, 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 no. Because Thomas Sorensen's now scrambling back yeah, yeah. to flick it over the crossbar because it was going to be an own goal. And I'm, I, I, if my memory serves me right, it was about five, five yards, ten yards over the halfway line. So the impact was ferocious. And, and then uh, I think it just landed in the top of the net. Uh, and I thought to myself, oh my God. But... Um, it was amazing because I think we ended up getting lock, locked in until maybe about half past 11, quarter to 12 at night because there really? was carnage outside. Yeah. Uh, the noise, the atmosphere and things. But I think when you when you become a footballer, um, 
And when I first joined, I think I remember playing Newcastle at Roker mm-hmm. and they, they, they terrorised us, they had a better team and, you know, and um, I remember thinking to myself, I need to start mixing it with these guys. And then obviously they back-to-back years uh, kind of broke that kind of dominance that Newcastle had over us. Certainly. And how do you find, obviously you mentioned you've played in all firm derbies as well, how do you, I mean, do they compare? I know you're a Rangers lad, so you're no, probably no, no, leaning listen, more towards... I, I, it's all relevant, um, yeah. because I obviously played in a West Ham Millwall sure. derbies, which can be a bit lively as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Um, Black Country, you know, yeah. you know, Wolves and mm-hmm. West Brom can get a bit tasty. I just, I think when you're actually involved in any derby match, they're to be savoured, because it's because of the magnitude for the supporters. Yeah. You know, players playing them. I, I'm going to, I, there's four derbies that are quite spicy, and you want to win them because you end up bowling about. They used to call me the Lord Mayor of Durham because every time we beat Newcastle, I was walking about waving at you folk going, oh, how are you doing? <laughs> and I had a big Alsatian dog. Right. And we had a gold card. Yeah. And it was a McDonald's gold card. We get free McDonald's, man. No the dog put on about fucking three stone, man. <laughs> In the first four weeks, I kept buying a McDonald's. And um, I used to walk about, they used to call me the Lord Mayor because I'd be like, hello, yes. <laughs> but, but as a player, it was just a, you know, you're... It was just a tremendous time to be going about as a as a Sunderland fan. Obviously, it was very mixed in Durham. It wasn't. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't living in Sunderland that was predominant. So we used to we used to frequent uh, Durham, and it was it was great. But um, yeah, it's in terms of hostile that night in Newcastle for me. I'd never had any experience. Obviously, when you walk out of an old Firm game, being a Rangers fan, mm. then it takes on another significance because. Mm. You've got all your mates in the stand for and you know for and against, and uh, you want to try and get the bragging rights of the city again because you just you, you understand the implications of a loss. Yeah, you guys have got to go to work, man, and you've got to sit with Newcastle fans going, "Oh, here we go." Um, so it's always good, and I've got a pal here with me now, David, who um, is a big Celtic fan. So hopefully you'll be greeting on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> So speaking of which, obviously there's a old firm on Sunday, yes. and there's a little little cup final. Sunderland involved yes. in. Yeah, attending one, and if so, which? No, no, I'm not attending either. Oh, I, really? I thought, no, I've got to work these days for a living, and um, <laughs> right, <laughs> I'm on the radio on Sunday. Got it. So um, we we have a phone in afterwards, but can gets a bit lively, um, because obviously emotions run high. Sure. You, you, do you still have the th- three legends of, of the? It used to be like uh, Super Mac, Eric Gates. And Bernie Slavin, do they still have that in the northeast? I'm not sure. I don't think so. They no. don't because when I, I so. when I was playing, they used to have the three guys. Obviously, Bernie was covering Borough, Super Mike was Newcastle, and, right. and Gatesy. Mm-hmm. And it was great because it's you get a topical. Hey, yeah, boys, it might be a a, a marketplace. Oh, market, yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Sell a few. Have to find a Newcastle yeah. fan, like yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but the great thing about it is, is, is if you can get these shows, we we have it up in Scotland and. Mm-hmm. Uh, Every night you've got Rangers and Celtic fans screaming into the show. Yeah, yeah. You know we want this player and we want that, and it's it's just it's, it's a very good formula. So no, but it's uh, brilliant. Um, one of the other games that we played at uh, St James's Park the season after when we won two one in that game as well. Um, the adrenaline obviously is high and the excitement, and then Shearer misses the penalty. Yes. What was that moment like? Who was it? Tackled? Was it Quinny? I can't remember. I think so. Yeah. I think, yeah. But in the I back of my was. mind, I've got yeah. what Quinny was doing back in the box. <laughs> I have no idea, man. Well. Um, but um, whoever it was, um, you think to yourself, here we go. And he was prolific, big Al and Sheena. He was, you know, he was very good for the spot. But I have to say, in all the years, I think Thomas would have very much, Sorensen would have been up there with one of the better goalkeepers. Um, 
he was a he was a f- fabulous goalkeeper. He had a presence, athleticism was fantastic. So when he managed to save it, you know, we were all indebted to him because that's when you really need your keeper to step up and play. And he did. He was, but it's not just that. He, 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 he generated confidence, Thomas. You know, when you get him at the back, um, that's no slight on anyone else who were goalkeepers here at the period that I was there. But Thomas was the standout for me. So, unfortunately, you left in September 2001 to John Wolves. I couldn't believe it. I have to be honest with you, and this is nothing against Wolves because I had a brilliant time. I didn't want to leave. Mm. I genuinely didn't want to leave. I'd, I'd, I'd moved into a nice townhouse overlooking the, the castle in Durham. Mm-hmm. It was nice. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and you had your Alsatian. So. I, had, I had the dog. Yeah. My, my daughter was just born, my first kid. And I was settled, you know. Yeah. And, and, and as I said, we were playing in front of sellouts. But unfortunately, when when Reedy said that they they had um, accepted a bid, then you just know that it's time to kind of move on. I, 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 if I'm honest, I wish I would have maybe dug my heels in mm. and says, "No, I'm not moving. I want to commit longer." Yeah. But you know, I thought it'd have been 30, 31 at that time. You do, at that time, I think myself that you know, if the manager wants to sell you, then you're mm. no part of his plans. Did it come out the blue then? I or, did. Or yeah. It, yeah. It's, yeah, it's interesting because we used to go to Marbella for a couple of seasons in a row we used to go to Porto Benus at the the end of the season because we were doing well Reedy used to reward the boys and we went over to Porto Benus for um, I don't know what you call it a jolly up Um, (laughs) but I I was on the straight and narrow and uh, I remember coming in one morning and Adrian Heath had a conversation with us and he says because I think I get injured Right at the tail end of that season because uh, I ended up doing I think it was Sun FM or covering the game and I ended up doing the co-coms mm-hmm. with, with the, the chaps at that time and and then I was still injured through the summer and then when I, when I got fit that's when the bid came in but at the end of that season Adrian Heath had said to a friend of mine who was uh, we ended up going to we flew out of Manchester and we had a big night out in Manchester and all the players and all the staff and Adrian Heath when I went to the toilet he says listen if he hadn't got injured, he would have been our uh, player of the year this year. Now, he was obviously, you know, either the assistant or number three, whatever his title was at that time. So I never felt at that point I was actually going to get sold. So, you know, it's something I've always wondered why mm-hmm. one of the staff were actually saying that. And then and then on the back of finishing seventh, mm-hmm. you know, there was still plenty. Mm-hmm. I, would, I would have been 30, 31, so there was mm-hmm. plenty more yeah, yeah. to come. So, but anyway, when, they, when these things happen, then you just have to accept it. It's just yeah. part and parcel. I don't, I was grateful to Reedy and still am for, for the support I got in 1998. Yeah. You were obviously in the uh, Rangers youth team um, and I believe Graham Souness. Souness, yeah. Yeah. Fucking kicked me out. <laughs> you believe it? Oh, man. I mean... I couldn't believe it. The Souness revolution and he kicked me out. But, um, but that was all kind of relevant as well because it wasn't actually Souness, it was Walter Smithy's assistant manager oh, okay. who kind of got rid of the, the kids, effectively. Graham mm. was above all that. And... Uh, the conversation when I just turned 17 was, he said to me, how do you think you've done? I said, I feel as if I've done okay. Well, and I feel as if, you know, I've shown enough to justify a contract. <laughs> and he said to us, so do I. And I thought, oh, I relaxed to see it. I thought, oh, I'm getting a contract here. And he went, but your lifestyle's not conducive. He says, you're out there partying as if you're a superstar. And he said to me, he says, no matter what, it's a great piece of advice. If there's any young kids listening to this podcast, uh, he says, no matter whether you're an electrician, a plumber or a footballer, you have to be dedicated 100% and give it your all. And it's interesting because 12 years later, 
I was sat with my wife in Portobanus. I'd have been 29, 12 years later down the line, and I met Walter Smith and his wife Ethel sitting in the piano bar in Marbella, and I sat down and had relayed that kind of that that story. Uh, and he says, "Yeah, I used to say quite that to quite a lot of young kids." Uh, and I says, "Well, I've managed to date now, and I'm now back playing at the Premiership." He says, "I bet you wish you'd have fucking done it when you were 17." <laughs> <laughs> but listen, you have to get to a place where you know you're willing to take that information yeah. on board. But it was a brilliant piece of advice for Walter at that time. Um, and obviously, eventually, you did get that move yeah. to Rangers. So, how did that feel that you finally had that chance to play for well, Rangers? It's it's funny how you have circumstances about how you manage to get back to a particular club. On the January, with four months, five months left of my Wolves contract, I'm the top scorer at Wolves with eight goals. Graham Sunnis tried to sign me, having let me go, let go 16 years previous for Blackburn. So I had a conversation with Graham and he says to me, would you like to come and play for me? And I'm thinking, how ironic mm-hmm. that the Blackburn manager at this time, the guy kicked me out as a kid, now wants to sign me. Um, and it never materialised. Six weeks later, I'm doing an interview with Tony Gubber for the BBC, similar to this. And then after we'd packed up all the equipment, he says, I meant to ask you two questions before we packed up. It's a bit late now, but I'll ask them anyway. He says, what's your passions? I says, First is, I like a wee bit of golf. I was playing a lot of golf with Kevin Phillips before I kind of packed up here. I says, and secondly, I want to go and watch Rangers play in Europe. His response was that, well, that's interesting. I'm meeting Alex McLeish, the Rangers manager tomorrow. And I says, will you tell Big Fucking Red I'm available for nothing in three months? (laughs) From that conversation, I'd signed a pre-contract within a couple of weeks. And that's how I get back to Rangers. On the back of Sunis, who kicked me out, and now I've arrived back in a two-year contract to 34. I thought I'd, you know, I thought extremely lucky with the circumstances that actually got me back and to come back and play for the club that you support. It's like you boys going and playing for Sunderland. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It yeah, was remarkable because I thought that boat had well and truly sailed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then to win the double in the first season was just, was ridiculous. And, and actually up until, I don't know, the last two minutes of that season, we, um, we won the one in the league. And then two quick goals by Scott McDonald at Motherwell. Mm. Then the, the, I'm led to believe the helicopter was almost at Motherwell. <laughs> He's shaking his head here. <laughs> so the helicopter was there and it changes direction to then head back to... Really? Yeah, that's the... That was a commentator. The helicopter's now changing yeah, direction. Yeah. <laughs> that's when David in the corner had his horns in his head. <laughs> but um, so, so to, to, win the, to win it in the manner... Yeah. It was just, it was just ridiculous. It was really a special moment, and I think I've been involved in 700, 700 give or take substitution appearances, first team games in football, and it, n- none of them other than that day did a breakdown in tears. Mm. I was overwhelmed, and I actually had to, I had to come out the dressing room because I was, I was gone. I was like a bumbling wreck. I yeah. was crying like, like an uncontrollable way of motion. Yeah, and. Um, I'd been taking a lot of grief off a, a Celtic fan for about five weeks leading up to, you know, and it's interesting because we get a lot of abuse. We get a lot of abuse. Yeah. Players, you've seen it recently, several players in the media. Yep. And five weeks before uh, this guy's giving me abuse, I'm thinking, oh my God, this is ridiculous. It was outside my kid's nursery. He was building an extension. Every day we, ex- mm. we exchanged pleasantries. So, you know, 
Yeah. I thought it would be appropriate to drive it two miles an hour past him <laughs> in my medal room yeah. and get it up you. <laughs> how, was you, uh, how was your relationship with, I think you put it Big Red? Big Alec. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. love him to bits, man. He's, he's, he's getting a, a little bit of abuse at the moment. Yeah, at the moment. And uh, it's a very unforgiving place, football. Um, but he's been around about it for so long. And I spoke to him on Tuesday. I, I'm going to take him out to Portugal for a couple of days. Get him, uh, get him a couple of games of golf, and you know, yeah. just try and get away from it. Because I think people forget football. Uh, it's you know, it can be really, really tough, particularly when you're a manager. It can be a very, very lonely place, and when you're getting battered for pillar to post, it's not nice. And I think you know, listen, I'm all, listen. The big guy's been brilliant for me. I worked with him in Belgium as well at Genk. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, he was a brilliant manager. You know, when you consider. Uh, as a player and as a manager, 21 winners' medals. It's a remarkable, you know. Yeah. So I've got a lot of time for the big guy. Um, and f- the fact that he gave me an opportunity to come back and play for Rangers at 34 and win the double. Uh, so it ties in nicely because I've got three kids. Um, the first one, the oldest one, Alexandra, will get the, the league winners' medal at Sunderland. Isabella will get the, the league cup. So in terms of value, I think the League Cup winner would probably she'll be devastated. <laughs> and then I'll obviously give the the wee man, my boy yeah. Cameron, the, I'll I'll give him the the league title one, the helicopter Sunday one. Yeah. So it'll be worth a few quid, I'm sure. <laughs> Some exchange betting companies run short-lived promotions, like months-long offers of low commission. At BetDAC, we wanted to change the way we did things, so we set our commission at two percent permanently. That's 2% on football, horse racing, golf, almost any sport. 2%. That's just one way that BetDAC is changing for the better. For the better. Like you. BetDAC, the 2% commission exchange. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. I know that it was there was an old firm derby that you played in, and I think it was a, a minute into the game, you injured yourself and you ended up finishing out the game after having paracetamol or something like Oh, don't, man. It was, um, <laughs> the, the game was built up as Neil Lennon. We, 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 when I spoke to Alex at first, he said to me that he needed guys who are Rangers-minded, who knew the implications and that we were signing a lot of foreign guys. So we signed Boomsong. Who did we sign? Nacho Novo, uh, Dado Prusso, Mladenovic, Marvin Andrews. So it was like five yeah. foreign uh, players and he says we need guys now so two minutes into the game the ball's going over my head and I've, I've seen Neil and I thought lovely let's have some of this <laughs> and the two is I've got the ball at the same time and my calf just kind of my foot rotated and I thought oh two minutes and I did, the pain was excruciating um, but thankfully I'd, 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 I had a couple of caffeine chingums <laughs> that kind of got me wired to the moon a wee bit so um I went over to see the doctor. I says, I'm in agony, man. You need to give me something for pain. And he hit me with two two little white tablets. And I thought, I'll give them. And as I was walking away, I says, what are these? And he went, they're two paracetamol, right? And I went, fucking paracetamol, man. I'm, I'm in agony here. And uh, I played the full 90 plus minutes, whatever the injury time was. And I had a two-inch tear in my calf. I played oh, the full 90 wow. minutes with a two-inch tear. But Parkhead wasn't a good hunting ground for me. And, and it shames me to, to tell you that. Yeah. I went to Parkhead in the next, whenever it was, the, the next time we played him at Parkhead. And the ball popped up about two feet in the air. And uh, I thought, lovely, what an opportunity to smash Aidan McGeady. <laughs> and he turned his back. 
and I hit him that hard my, f- my face caught the back of his shoulder blade when he turned round yeah. and my tooth popped right out as well right <laughs> so I'm standing in the middle of the pitch going of all the hard men <laughs> yeah. I've been up against Vinnie Jones and Terry Hurlocks and Kevin Balls of the world fucking lose a tooth to, to Aiden man Aiden couldn't tackle a fist up man I hope he listens to this I'm fucking still devastated I'm, I'm waiting for him to retire so I can try and get a nibble back at the Masters and Rangers and Celtic play the, the, the Masters game so no it wasn't a good hu- hunting ground I managed to, uh, we managed to win one game there with my time at Rangers and, they, and we haven't won at Parkhead for five years mm-hmm. 2000 I think it's Rod Wallace so we managed to get a result there which was great because just to paint a picture for some of your listeners, when you walk into Parkhead, there's always a, a nice little welcome party of about 4,000 of these guys giving you dogs abuse. <laughs> and then when you come back out after a win, there's only about fucking 20 yeah. of them, right? <laughs> but <laughs> and, and, and when you're walking out with like a Cheshire cat, it's always nice to remind them of the welcome you get them. So, um, But listen, it's a very difficult place to go and try and get a result. Obviously, we've got to go there on Sunday. And try and, and try and get a positive result. Um, so, but it'll be good because obviously Neil Lennon's back in the mm-hmm. dugout as well, and you've got Stephen Gerrard, a couple of com- mm-hmm. serious competitors. And yeah. uh, no, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So, how would you um, how would you rate Stephen Gerrard at the moment as Rangers manager? Aye. No, listen. The thing is, he, he, he came in. He came in last. Uh, he came in last summer. Uh, there's a lot of similarities to when Sooners came in. Rangers were on their knees. Uh, obviously, Sooners had a lot more money. Uh, and the domination of Celtic at the moment and financially it's, it's always a difficult landscape but in terms of his European exploits second place was always going to be the most I predicted at the start of the season Celtic would win because of the, the the level of turmoil where Rangers were so they had to try and build that up they'll get second I think they'll be comfortable in second spot they'll get second spot but obviously the, the, the run in I think there's eight games to go uh, the disappointing thing would be the two cup competitions. The fact that they never got to a cup final would be a major disappointment. But you have to try and take it in stages. We can't keep chopping and changing manager yeah. every year and we have to give the guy an opportunity to try and build something. Uh, and I think when you look at Sunderland as an example, if you look over the last 10 years, right, you get a manager who kept him in the top flight, give him money, come, I don't know, November, just before the January window, you get rid of him, bring mm-hmm. another guy in, fire loads of guys out the door so you have a, a, a continual pattern there where you're getting ready managers supporting them giving them money you build up debts and then before long it, just be, it doesn't become sustainable so for me they have to stick with Stephen uh, and allow him to try and build something because you're up against a club who probably has something along the lines of a 65, 70 million pound extra budget mm. which is a very difficult landscape so they just have to nip and tuck and try and bridge that gap be interested to see what happens on, on Sunday. Oof. So I want to bring you back um, to last May, actually. Um, so I think you for a bit you were Bucky's favourite to be the new Sutherland manager. All right. So I was just going to ask you, was that ever going to happen? Did it ever get close? No, was it all no, just no, kind no. of... No, no, listen, I think I think somebody maybe put a fiver on and have shat themselves. <laughs> right. and, uh, but listen, it's a, it's a club that I hold dear to my heart. Uh, I think it's a great club. Uh, I think Jack's done a relatively decent job uh-huh. today. Um and it's interesting, I always kind of, kind of asked to give predictions at the start of the season, I always felt as if Sunderland would bounce up this year. Right. When you look at, I don't know, the last 10 years, uh, Leeds, Wolves, mm-hmm. Norwich, Blackburn, um, Southampton. Been down, yeah. So you look at all these big clubs, and I, with the greatest respect to them, I look at Sunderland, I see a bigger club. 
So I'm expecting him to try and bounce straight back up at the first time of asking because if you get trapped in for another year, it becomes more difficult because the, the, the budget's cons- mm-hmm. considerable. And and when I look at the players, I find it difficult to comprehend. You know, after Wembley, you're going to go to Accrington, Fleetwood, Burton. And when I see Sunderland in that kind of arena, it just doesn't sit right with me in the slightest. You know, yeah. it's... Uh, and I've never seen Sunderland at this level since I've been involved with the club. So hopefully Jack can get them into the championship and then the real work starts because it's a different playground again because of the parachutes mm. that maybe six or eight of the teams might have over the course of a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they'll have to compete with there. So it's a different ball game and I think it'll need a fresh investment as well to, to support Jack. And... Um, you know, the, the, the season so far and, and Sunday's massive. If you can get a good win there, a cup, 40,000 fans, I think the running could be as good as anything we've seen in recent years. One of the people who worked at Sunderland in the last couple of years that Sunderland fans I'm particularly fond of, Martin Bain. I thought we were going to say Cookie. Oh, well. <laughs> Fucking <Kipman>. Ginger Buzz. <laughs> but, uh, Martin Bain is someone who Sunderland fans, you mentioned his name and yeah. tend to roll their eyes or groan or whatever, but it seems like you've had a Good experience with Martin Bain. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I, I came to Rangers uh, when I was 34 and, you know, I was older, so, you know, you're kind of, you're no bone about with the younger guys. So Martin was the, probably about my same age. So I had a kind of recent, a decent enough relationship, all being he was up there and I was just a player. So every time, and, and, and I'd done some stuff with Martin in terms of, uh, for the Rangers Charity Foundation where I went in an artist, so I found more as a, I don't know, as an individual rather than what you could bring to the table. But um, it was always difficult, you know. And the thing is, the problem you've got is in here, the the whole infrastructure. I, I, I've been on talk sport and things uh, over the last, I don't know, five or six years with the amount of managers that suddenly went through and the money that they were burning and the, the lack of structure. You know, directors of football just piling loads of players in, trying to get players out. And I, I, I've been in recruitment, so I know how difficult it is and getting it badly wrong. So I know how difficult... So he's coming in at the tail end of this for four or five years and having to pick up all the pieces. Now, I, I don't profess to know what Martin's role was because I was, I was based in Glasgow and I just know that it would have been a tough, tough environment. Managers are coming and going and it's just a horrible place. And uh, so, listen, they've got the new owners in now. They seem to be hands-on, a lot more proactive than a lot of chairman and chief executives have been in recent years and I think the fans are buying into it so long may that continue because the thing is you need to get everybody rowing in the same boat and I, and I think as you rightly said at that time I think there was an apathy around about Sunderland with the supporters the board Martin was a go-to guy for people to look at because Ellis was over in um, in America so the whole yeah. the whole thing was it was I actually found the whole Sunderland documentary extremely sad and it made me mm-hmm. angry as well because it was a brilliantly done thing around a really difficult time for people. A lot of people really struggling to cope with what was actually happening at the club back to back. Uh, I always felt as if if someone could come in and put a structure in place because of that constant, which was the fans, they could then kick on. And it is clearly proven to be that way. You know, I don't think it's taught a lot of stuff that you would think, oh my God, this is revolutionary. You bring in a manager that's hungry, he knows how to shape a team up, you support them in the transfer market and, you know, then all of a sudden things start to, you've got a manager who then uh, 
buys into the fans. He's very well spoken. He kind of puts himself across well. And then you've got board members who are actually transparent. They're out there going, this is what we're doing. This is the budget we've got at the start, 11 million quid. Everybody's going lovely. That should get us out of the division. So everybody's kind of being out there and integrating themselves into the support base. It's no good sitting up there in the directors of posh seats and sitting there going like that and no listening to what you're paying public is. So I think I think the board seem to have done that. Uh, and as I said to you, I think it's great in the short period in which they've done it. It'll be interesting to see how they progress over the coming years because and I'm not trying to say be a little which the level we're at the now. But I think for me, I think next year, if they can get to the well, obviously this season we get the championship, I think next year will give you a better yardstick mm. where the board and things are uh, as a stepping stone because Having been part of a team where, well, I think I came in maybe two years into that project. Peter Reid was in initially for about a year, did very well, got promotion, and then I came into that. But that was a club that was, we obviously got relegated my first season, so it wasn't a case, it was just a, a, a an astronomical uplift. It was like bumps in the road, but you're slowly, you know, the, the graph is starting to go up the way, mm. so much so that you finish a cup. So it's important to, there may well be the odd setback, but it's important to try and recognise that the club's going in the right direction. Were you watching that documentary and did you get frustrated at all? Anger's the only thing that yeah. struck, struck me. Because like you said, obviously, you lot kind of got us back up to the Premier League where, like we say, it was first versus third against Man United and yeah. stuff like that. And it's almost like we're doing that same story again but it, arguably a bit worse because we've gone down even further. Do you look at that and think, oh, all that work we did? No, 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 no. I just look at it a totally different a totally different generation. Yeah. No, I don't. I didn't look at it, but we did that. Mm-hmm. What I look at, if I, if I try and put my mindset in it, is I was looking at what we did then was actually something special. Mm. And it's extremely difficult to replicate that because of, you know, you're, to finish back-to-back seventh, particularly with the money and way football's going now. So I don't try and gauge where they are now. I think you've got to try and take it in its own individual merit because there's so much more, more money in the game now. And in terms of the top level, you've got all these foreign investors coming in, Chinese, you know, from the United Arab Emirates. And so there's a, there's a totally different landscape. I think most of the guys in my time are all English-based businessmen, like Bob Murray and, and so forth. But... Uh, but the thing is, I can actually see, see shoots of that progression. Um, but again, I'm not trying to put any pressure on, but the importance of getting up this summer to, to, to hang about at this level for another year would be, phew, just a bit of thing about. Yeah. You I took over St. Murray after Jack Ross. Am I right? No, you, you, no, would be, I, you would be I, before Jack I, Ross. I, I, I took over from uh, Ian Murray, my old teammate. At, okay. At, yeah. Jack Ross then came in after after me, yeah. So have you met Jack Ross then? Yeah, no, I I, I don't know Jack particularly well at all. I, he, I had a conversation with him at the start of the season that he then took over St Mirren because I only get six games, you know, and I only get six games at the start of the season. I was anyway. I'm not going to the reason why I left St Mirren. Obviously, the results were part of that, but there was a bigger issue with the chairman. But um, I spoke to him and I loaned back a. Uh, what do you call it? A, a centre half, Ben God. I think Ben Gordon was it. Anyway, I didn't play him particularly. I brought him in, but I got a better option. Uh, a guy I'd worked with, and I decided to send him out on loan. And Jack phoned. That was my only dealings with Jack over the years. We kind of missed each other because most of my career was in England. And then I think he might. I might have played against him against St Mirren or so, mm-hmm. but it doesn't. So I don't really know him in a social capacity and either. I've just. Just know that he came in and fucking took some Mirren up on the back of me getting Marsfeld. <laughs> but no, um, 
but listen, I wish him well. It's, it's a hard enough, and as he said, we're talking about Big Alec there, you know, it's a very, very difficult landscape. Jack's obviously in a trajectory at the moment, we're on the back of St Mirren. He's come in here and he's obviously kind of, his, his win ratio and come into a big, big club as well has obviously mm-hmm. helped with, with a big budget. So, um, you know, you can only gauge him on that, but so far he's done brilliant. He's been very vocal about eventually wanting to become Scotland manager as well. Do you do you think he can do it? Do you think he's capable? Well, if if you take his first couple of years in management, you know, he's, he's he seems to me this again is because I obviously don't know him from the outside. He seems to me as if he's a very level-headed kind of switched-on guy. His kind of people skills are very good, and I think you need that as a manager because you've got to be able to communicate with guys that are what I don't even know how old Jack is, but there'll be guys in that dressing room who are early thirties who are probably a couple of years younger than Jack. So you've got to communicate to the guys and then you've got to communicate to the younger guys who you're trying to kind of help along the way. So it's like, and then obviously you've got the expectations of a big club like this with the greatest respect to, to St Mirren and Aloha. You know, Aloha was just a part-time club. St Mirren got a bit more established uh, at the top flight and, you know, and um, got a very good fan base in terms of numbers. But coming to this is just another level. Um, and, but, I can see him because he's obviously one of the new, younger guys who are actually coming through, who are now, you know, they're actually starting to kind of make noises because if he can get promotion this year, a couple of back-to-back promotions gives you a lot of yeah. grace. Um, um, and it's interesting because it doesn't matter whether you've got the smallest or the biggest budget because it's actually what you actually do at the end of the season, which way you'll be judged on. So he will be looking to try and, he seems to me to be a hungry guy. He'll be wanting to do well with Sunderland and, uh, his first, his first rematch, obviously, to try and get out of this division. Yeah, and so. is there, a, is it a regret of yours that you never played for the Scotland national side? No, <laughs> well, listen, the, the, <laughs> no. <laughs> you see that <laughs> figure? I was just about to fucking two fit you there for asking that question. I thought I'd get away with that push. <laughs> so no, um, I uh, yeah, listen, I, I look at what Scotland are now, and that's just to try and put it in comparisons. And this is there's guys in the third tier of English football in the Scotland setup now there's guys up in Scotland who are playing I was playing as you said first against third in English Premiership and I couldn't even get in a squad mm. uh, but again partly that comes down to me having a disagreement with the under 21 manager who then became the national manager for 10 years so if I'm honest it was, if it's a regret it's a regret on my part nothing to do with anyone else purely because I had a wee spat with the manager Right. Well, whilst a bit worse for well. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but anyway, it was um, it is something I look back. Uh, I, I still have my under twenty one top because I, I managed to score four goals in nine games for the twenty ones. Uh, I scored the winner in, against Germany in the quarter finals against Stefan Kloss, who then became my, go- my 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 teammate at Rangers, and I didn't realise it was him until I was about six months into. Rangers, someone sent me a picture with Stefan diving when the ball was on the way back out the net. <laughs> so I was, I was sure to remember, remind him of that. But and it's interesting in terms of where Scotland are now. The under twenty ones haven't. I think it's twenty one years. The national team's not qualified. Nineteen ninety eight, so it's twenty one years or so yeah. that, and the actual under twenty ones haven't qualified to the level in which we were talking about there. So clearly, we were producing better players back then. And if it's Jack's ambition to be the Scotland manager, for me, I'd be hanging about a wee bit until the actual quality went up a bit because I've seen the scrutiny these guys get under. But 
as I said, I think he's just new into management in terms of a few years. For me, I would be working my ticket in terms of club football for a while and then look at it because there's, there's not a great deal of candidates out there for the Scotland job. You've probably got four or five guys that they constantly, their names get mentioned. Uh, Paul Lambert, David Moyes, Alec McLeish, Walter Smith over recent years, Gordon Strachan. So there's, there's a small pool. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if they actually, in years to come, they'll start looking at a wider net I think because we had a bad experience with Bertie Volks, then, you know, it put a lot of people off. But I think you have to open it up to the, to the wider market to see if we can try and improve our um, success rate. I can see you used to fucking laughing there because England are going good guns. Look at you. <laughs> oh, smoke, never. See, never. Not, see, there are a lot of Sunderland fans who, you know, enjoy watching Scotland get beat off the likes of Kazakhstan. For me personally, I think it's quite sad to see that, honestly. In all honesty, I really do. Um, well, do you know an interesting thing about this? And this is me being sincere. I, um, I, I, I brought nine of my mates over to Portugal for a, for a holiday to play golf. And on the first day, I, I pitched up at the pool with an England top one, just to annoy them. <laughs> Did it work? <laughs> Fucking right. <Yeah>. They went mental. <laughs> they were going to, it was my house, they were going to beat us up. So no, I think, um, no, listen, you're, you're right. See, because I've uh, uh, 14 years in England, and then a few years coaching with MK Dons in Blackpool and Notch County and that, I, um, I, I actually want England to do well. You know, it's just partly, you know, been brought up. My kids were, a couple of my kids were but born in England as well so um, very much so you know I'm very much part of the union and want to be British and, and all that stuff so I don't kind of subscribe to England, Scotland getting beat yeah. doesn't he watch yeah. for me at all yeah. um, What do you say the best time as a player for you was at Sunderland? In terms of the level in which I was performing at mm-hmm. without doubt okay. without a shadow of doubt I, I actually I actually hit some really good levels in all. As I said to you, I scored the eight goals in my last season for Wolves in England's Premiership, so it was five in there, three cup. And uh, my game had been modified a lot since my earlier days, so to score eight goals. So, But in terms of playing against some of, some of the players that we're playing against, Keane, Scholes, Vieira, Steven Gerrard, Petit, um, Desai, you know. It was top of the top, really, wasn't it? It was just, yeah. but when I look through, people often say to you who's the best, but how do you pick your best out of that bunch? Yeah. And that was just the midfielders, you know, you had a host of other top, top quality players. Did you have a favourite midfield partner to play with? Uh, as, uh, looking back, I would have to say Gavin. Mm. Uh, and I, I, it's, it's, listen, do you know the competitiveness? I've, I've, I've played against him a few times now in these kind of legends games where we've been down to Blackpool and, and the two of us have been absolutely fucking leathering each other. And that's what I love about it because I love it. Because it actually just epitomises what the two is we're willing to do. And this is us, you know, I'm late 40s now. So I think Gavin's a wee bit younger than me. But the, the fact that we're still smashing each other in veterans games, I, I, I just enjoy Gavin. He was a quiet, unassuming guy, uh, but a silent assassin in the middle of the past. He's a very good player. I enjoyed playing with him. Uh, and also Bolly, for the simple reason that we used to tag team whoever we wanted to volley. <laughs> I'll never forget Craig Bellamy. Right. Okay. Remember at Norwich? Yeah. And uh, Bolly said something to him and he started mouthing after Bolly and I'm thinking to myself, so I looked over to Bolly and I went, you going to kick this fucker or am I? <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't believe it. He was kind of mouthing after Kevin Ball who was yeah. well regarded, at, you know, throughout football. Yeah. Anyway, we tried our best to kind of volley him but he was a wee bit lively. Quick, well. yeah. <laughs> but anyway, he didn't stop his trying. Yeah. 
Fair enough. Well, it sounds like you've had an amazing career. No, I've loved it, man. It was, uh, listen, I, I, and I miss it badly. Yeah. You know, I really do miss it. Uh, so much so that I'm still playing in all these veterans games. I, I drove to Blackpool at half past seven last last Saturday. Uh, got there at quarter to twelve. And as soon as the final whistle left, I didn't even stay to get the trophy presentation. Uh, I had to bolt to get back up for a commitment in Glasgow. So I don't even know what it takes. Maybe three and a half hours for Glasgow. Mm-hmm. So it's a seven-hour round trip just to get a kickabout yeah. with, with Kevin Phillips and Don Hutchison and, and Gavin. So, you know, it was brilliant. Yeah. So finally, I guess, are you looking for a new job in management? Are you? I've actually been offered. I've been offered. A, I got offered a League Two manager's job about three months ago and I just said, no. Nah. No, for me, I, I, if a job came up that I felt as if I had a fighting chance uh, and there was an infrastructure, one of the things that I've done over the years is I've taken jobs that weren't great. I went to Blackpool, which was, everyone knows, the Oyston family was a shambles. Sure. Notts County maybe sacked about two managers the time that Paul Ince and I went in. Uh, St Mirren had probably been through, I don't know, maybe three or four managers in the space of two years. But listen, if it was the right opportunity, because it's still very much part of... Hence the reason why I've got to go back up and do media work this weekend with football. So it's all football related. So you're getting into places that's, and as I said to you, in terms of building, you know, I spoke about Stephen Gerrard. If Jack's going to come here, you need to give these guys time. If you don't get time and it's a quick last of plus, it never works because nothing ever heals. You never get an opportunity to implement things. Um, so, Classic. Well, thank you very much for your oh, time. It's a pleasure, boys. Thank you very much. Really enjoyed it. All right, brilliant. No bother. <laughs> Some exchange betting companies run short-lived promotions, like months-long offers of low commission. At BetDAC, we wanted to change the way we did things, so we set our commission at 2% permanently. That's 2% on football, horse racing, golf, almost any sport. 2%. That's just one way that BetDAC is changing for the better. For the better, like you. BetDAC, the 2% commission exchange. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.